0: Bob here again. This is going to be part two explaining why not all of a believer's good works are like dirty, disgusting, smelly rags in God's eyes. So in part one of this podcast topic, I explained to you how the scriptures show quite clearly that those good works that are seen by the Lord as being disgusting are those good works that his children do for unrighteous reasons. And the main reasons why the Lord sees the good works that some believers do as being unrighteous is that some believers do them because they're told to or they're paid to do them, or they do them to please people, and not because they want to do them to please their Lord. Yes, God's people can simply go through the motions of doing those things that the Lord deems a good work, like the good works that some of the Old Testament believers were doing when they went to the temple to offer those sacrifices that the Lord asked of them. See, they were doing those temple sacrifices with a bad attitude. They were being grumbling and whining and complaining and it, was, it irritated him to have to go through all that hassle for the Lord and la, 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 la. So even though they were doing the right thing, it wasn't pleasing to the Lord because their heart wasn't in the right spot. And for the church age, an example of those good works that the Lord sees as being disgusting good works, are those good works that believers do like maybe being a pastor who runs a church for selfish, power-hungry, money-grubbing reasons? or Or like when believers go to church knowing in their heart and mind that they don't really want to be there? Or like being part of a popular Christian music group who sing Christian songs knowing that they're, they're only in the ministry for the honor and prestige that it brings them. So again, being a pastor or being a faithful churchgoer or being in a Christian band can be a good work. But that same good work can become disgusting in God's eyes if they're being done without the goal or desire to please the Lord first. Another important tidbit that I shared in part one of this podcast is that not only can a believer's good works be seen as pleasing by the Lord, the Lord himself expects his children to do good works. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Yeshua to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Pretty simple, isn't it? Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, And glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit, that our Heavenly Father, that Yeshua Christ Himself, do not make us do good works. We have to choose to want to do those good works. We have to choose to control our flesh and do the things that please our Heavenly Father. Now, again, if we want our good works to be pleasing to the Lord, we must do them with the right motive. Simply going through the motions as we do our good works will result in those good works being burnt up at the judgment seat of christ and even having good motives is not always enough we have to be doing those good works according to the way the scriptures are written the christian bookstores are full of all kinds of garbage religious christian self-help books that don't teach people how to deal with their sin biblically it's all feely emotionally do this help yourself get over this love you kissy stuff and not the sound doctrine of god's word that's being taught in most of those books All those self-help books are going to get burnt up. The work, all the time and effort that believers put into that religious gibberish is going to be burnt up at the judgment seat of Christ. Now what I'm going to share next is going to shock a lot of people. So if you're like a snowflakey Christian, you better sit down, all right? What I'm going to talk about next is the fact that our Heavenly Father expects His children to choose, through their own free will, to do good works. This next topic that I'm going to speak on is the biblical fact that if a believer truly desires to do good works that please the Lord, they, and not the Holy Spirit, and not Yeshua Christ, and not our Heavenly Father, must choose in and of ourselves to do those good works. Now, obviously a person who's abiding with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, is going to have that sensitivity to want to do these things to please the Lord, obviously. But let's be honest, this world is full of people playing church who are doing all kinds of pious, religious-looking things who are doing it in the flesh. How do we determine that? We don't. God determines that at the judgment seat of Christ. Brethren, what credit from the Lord is there for a believer if it wasn't them choosing to please the Lord rather than the Holy Spirit doing the work for them? You know, it's sad that this churches are so full of spiritually dull and spiritually dead believers. You know, it's like we have people in Christian churches, mostly the Pentecostally-like churches, who actually believe that before a believer chooses to be obedient to the words in the Bible, they have to have like the Spirit of God whispering in their ear, I want you to go out and love your wife like Christ loves the church. Like they don't already know that. I want you to go out and love your enemies. Like they don't already know that. They have to have permission from the Holy Spirit or like some kind of a pep talk from the Holy Spirit before they're all going to obey God's word. How silly is that? I don't need the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God to enlighten me that I need to love my wife like Christ loves the church or love my enemies, many times I need his help to help me love my enemies, but I know what I need to do. I just got to make up my mind to do it. Come on, brethren, you got to be smarter than this. I know the Bible tells me that God loves a cheerful giver. What do I need to wait every Saturday night for the Holy Spirit to whisper in my ear? Tomorrow, you need to be a cheerful giver, Brother Bob. No, I already know that. I just have to do it. I have to be faithful. That's what being faithful is, is to do what it says. I don't need to have somebody teach me every Sunday, be a cheerful giver. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Love your enemies. Do not steal. Come on, people. Come on. Now, sadly, I'm forced to bring this topic up because there are actually born-again believers in the church of the living God, many of them being in positions of authority in the church who genuinely but foolishly believe and teach that if a blood-bought, born-again, child of God does do these good things that please the Lord, it's not the believer who's really doing those things, but the Holy Spirit inside of them. That concept is so idiotic. I need to share what I just shared again so that you clearly understand what I just said. There are actually born-again believers in the Church of the Living God, many of them in positions of authority in the Church, who genuinely but foolishly believe and teach that if a blood-bought, born-again, child of God does those things which please the Lord— They only did those things that pleased the Lord because the Holy Spirit did it for them. Again, that concept is so unbiblically crazy. One has to wonder how a person who believes this garbage ever got saved to begin with. The believers who think this way are so screwed up biblically that they even think that it's of the flesh when a believer in and of themselves and what they know about the scriptures and what the Lord wants them to do, chooses to do whatever it takes to please the Lord. Just imagine it. The believers who think this way think that any good work that a child of God chooses to do on their own, like maybe choosing to work at a rescue mission or going out to a park and handing out Bible tracts, is doing a good work in the flesh and not in the spirit because they chose to do it on their own. Brethren, it's amazingly sad how biblically stupid many are in the church these days. And a major reason for that is a lot of God's people no longer use their brains for learning biblical truth, but instead solely rely on their emotions or their experiences for determining what they feel biblical truth is. So that means that these pious-sounding religious fools believe that if a believer chooses to do something like trying to love their wife as Christ loved the church, their attempt at trying to do that is not a good work, but rather a work of the flesh. My Bible tells me that precious in the eyes of God is that Christian woman with who uses her quiet and gentle spirit to try to win her husband over to the Lord. Don't tell me that's garbage. God doesn't think that it's garbage. God doesn't think that's fleshly. God thinks that's a great thing. It's precious in his eyes when a Christian woman uses her quiet and gentle spirit to win her jerk of a husband back to the Lord. Yes, there are actually people who... Many who claim to be pastors in the churches of the living God who teach and preach that if a believer chooses to in his own mind and in his own desires to go out and do things that please the Lord, it's a it's a work of the flesh and not of the spirit. What a joke. It's a sad it's a sad world we live in with these churches today. Brethren, that type of thinking is absolutely moronic. Now of course the pastors who say they believe this pious sounding but unbiblical concept do not believe that it's of the flesh to take the time and effort to come up with a sermon next Sunday. Brethren, the entire reward system in the Bible is built around the concept of the Lord blessing and rewarding those children of His who choose on their own to do those things that He asked them to do. Why, oh, why, oh, why would would the Lord bless a child of His for doing something righteous if it wasn't them doing it, but the Holy Spirit in them? Everyone needs to listen to me carefully. Every single reward, blessing, or special honor that a believer receives in eternity, they receive because they deserve or earned it. I think I just heard some believers faint. Brethren, our Heavenly Father does not, never has, never will dole out any eternal rewards, blessings, and honors to his children who do not choose to do the things that he commanded them to do. There are no participation trophies handed out in eternity. Every single place in the scriptures where the Lord commands his people to do certain things, he expects his children to do them. And not the Holy Spirit, but he expects his children to do those things. He always holds his chil- children accountable when they obey or disobey him. Brethren, it has never been the Holy Spirit's responsibility or job to do those good works that please the Lord for God's children. Never. Never. The scriptures always put the responsibility of serving and obeying the Lord on the believer. And then once the child of God chooses, with a good and sincere heart, to do those things that the Lord asks them to do, he, God, blesses and or rewards them. Again, this isn't rocket science theology. Pretty simple stuff to understand. The Lord always tells his people, if you do as I say, then I will do as I promise. Now again, I need to qualify that as I've been sharing... Doing as he says means to do it with a good attitude, not just to go through the motions, do it. When he says, if you do as I say, he means with a good and sincere heart. Even though you might not do it perfectly, your motive is to glorify the Lord. He will reward you if you do that. Now, I've shared what I've shared in this podcast up to this point to share something new with you. I want to share with you that there are two types of righteousness for God's people in the scriptures. Yes, there is more than one type of righteousness for a believer. Again, I think I just heard some believers faint when I said that. I absolutely believe that more than one type of righteousness or justification for a believer is found in the Bible. Again, this isn't Bob's opinion or Bob's view. It's biblical. Hear me out. Hear what I have to say. Again, turn the emotion button off. There is a positional sanctification or positional righteousness, i.e., that means being seen by the Lord as being holy and right in his eyes, that all believers, whether Old or New Testament, receive when they get saved or born again. Believers are not seen positionally holy or righteous because of a good work or deed they have done for the Lord. Believers are seen as being positionally right in God's eyes simply because they got saved through faith in the gospel of Christ. Positional sanctification or positional righteousness simply means that if one is truly saved, all of their hell debt sins are forgiven because of what Christ's sin-cleansing blood does, which in turn means... That because the believer's sin debts are paid off, the Lord always sees that believer as having a position of being right and not wrong with him, regardless of how they live their spiritual life. Now listen carefully. This permanent positional righteousness, i.e. being seen as being eternally right in God's eyes, forever and forever, only pertains to how the good Lord sees his children in regards to determining if they go to heaven or hell. So in your mind, picture the Lord seeing all humans in a line waiting to be condemned or judged by the Lord for being sinners. All these people in the presence of a holy and just God know that they have sinned against God over and over and over again and deserve to be punished. Now imagine if you notice in this long line of sinful humans, all of a sudden there's a fork in the line that goes off to the left. As you're watching, you notice a lot of people who were in the one who one time were in a single file line headed to hell, are now in this line that goes to the left. They are still sinners, but for a specific reason, they have been put in a line separate from the other line full of sinners. Then you notice that as the two lines of people get closer to the throne of God, one of the lines has the people headed to a spot that says heaven, and the other people in the line has a, has a sign above it that says headed to hell. So why are the people in one of these lines headed to heaven while the people in the other line are headed to hell. Is it because the people in the line headed to heaven were less of a sinner than the people in the line headed to hell? Absolutely not. Those sinners in the line of people headed to heaven are only going to heaven because every single person in that line believed that God has freely forgiven them of their sins. They're still sinners saved by grace, but they're headed on the path to heaven because of their faith in the gospel. Every single person in the line of people going to heaven at some point in their lives, have trusted, i.e. believe, that the Lord was going to do as he promised and freely redeem them of their sins. Those people in the line headed to heaven, although they are sinners, are positionally forgiven because of their faith in the gospel. So even though they are sinners, as they pass by the Lord, he sees these people covered with the blood of his son. Let me share a little, kind of a little tidbit information with you it's kind of important you can use this at your next bible study class if you have two pieces of bright red plastic sheeted paper bright red crimson red and if you lay one of those on top of the other do you know what happens to the color of the bright red plastic paper underneath it turns white as snow that's what happens with the blood of christ when it covers our crimson sins they turn white as snow Again, remember, all the people who started out in this line were headed to the throne room to be judged whether they should go to heaven or hell. The people in these lines are not being judged for how well they lived their earthly lives or how well they served the Lord. This is a hell-heaven-only judgment line. Now, everybody on planet Earth starts out in the people line headed to hell. And the absolutely only reason why anyone ends up in the line headed to heaven instead of hell is because somewhere in life that person believes through simple faith, that God will be faithful to his word and will forgive them of their sins. Those believers that the Lord now sees as positionally righteous or right in his eyes are only positionally righteous or right in his eyes because the blood of his son covers their sins. I shared all of that information so you could understand what this next verse means. Romans 4, 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. At one time, Abraham was in that line of people headed to hell. His faith in a Redeemer God took him out of that line of people headed to hell and put him in a line with people headed to heaven. And today in the church, everyone starts out in the line of people headed to hell, but ends up in the line with people going to heaven because they at some point truly believe and accept that Yeshua Christ suffered and died to pay off their sin debt. Dispositional righteousness in Abraham's day came through a belief, faith, that God was going to somehow freely redeem them of their sins. Brethren, the believers in the Old Testament clearly understood that no one has their sins washed away by their good works. The people in the Old Testament who got saved, i.e. were seen as righteous, knew that they were born helpless, hopeless sinners. Psalm fifty-one-five says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time I left my mother's womb. God's road to eternal salvation has always been because of his grace. None of us deserve what Christ did for us at Calvary. Calvary is God's free gift, grace to mankind. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who reject his free gift of eternal life because they either refuse to believe it's free, or worse yet, have never had the gospel message of Christ shared with them. Now, even though it's a wonderful thing that a believer is positionally saved from hell, being positionally saved from hell does not spare a believer from from very serious, i.e. bad judgment consequences in heaven. Saying simply being positionally saved from hell will not earn or merit a well-done, good and faithful servant comment at the judgment seat of Christ. Let me say that again. Simply being positionally saved from hell will not automatically earn or merit a well-done, good and faithful servant compliment from Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. In order to hear, well done, good and faithful servant of God, at the judgment seat of Christ, a believer must be found to have a faithful walk in their life. And this good and godly spiritual walk or faithful walk will lead to a good judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. And this is accomplished through a believer's progressive or ongoing faithful walk of obedience to God's word. This trying to walk holy and righteous and obedient to the Lord's commandments is what's called progressive sanctification. That means believers need to grow up and mature and be more faithful and be, be more diligent and and persevere and overcome, repent. They need to be Sharing your faith, you need to be growing and growing and growing and continue to grow. We're never going to be sinless, but we should be continuing to grow more and more Christ-like. That's part of our progressive sanctification that takes place in a believer's life. Positional salvation, positional sanctification that came through our, the free gift of faith in the gospel of Christ. Our progressive sanctification. To hear a well done because of how we walk is going to take some effort on our part. Positional holiness or positional sanctification is a completely different animal than progressive sanctification. Having positional salvation means you don't have to worry about going to hell. Having progressive sanctifications means you don't need to worry about getting a bad judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. Positional salvation, free gift from God. We just got to believe that Christ hung on them nails and died to pay for our sins. We get the free gift of eternal life. We're positionally locked in. Positional salvation means that we're saved, eternally saved from hell. That is, unless we're a born-again person, who openly and publicly renounces and rejects the Savior they once believe in, which can happen. But if you, as long as you don't do that, no matter how you live your Christian life, you have positional salvation from hell. If you're a believer, progressive sanctification—that's a process of continuing to grow and grow and grow to be more and more Christ-like—is our responsibility. We have to choose to walk, to talk. The more faithful we are during our progressing sanctification, the better it will be for us at the judgment seat of Christ. It's that simple. The Apostle Peter talking to positionally saved believers says in 2 Peter 3.14, So then, my dear friends, since you are looking forward to the things that are going to come, which would be the return of Christ, the millennial kingdom, new heaven and earth kingdom, put some hard work into being found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. That means being spotless, blameless, and at peace with him at your judgment. That's what Peter's implying there. That means you have to work at that. In your English Bible, where it says put some hard work into, it's the word diligent. We have to put some effort into doing this. I know a lot of people, especially the feely, emotionally led believers, think, well, everything we do in our life is the Holy Spirit does it for us or some kind of a, somehow overpowers us and... And has us do these things even when we don't want to. That's just a bunch of BS. All right, we have to choose to walk, to talk. Again, positional salvation is a free gift from God. We believe in the gospel, guaranteed to go to heaven. Progressive sanctification is our choice to walk, to talk. We have to choose. Now, will the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, be there to help us when we need help? You know, the Holy Spirit's not a babysitter. Okay, when you're 5, 10, 15, 20 years in the Lord, you know what you need to do. You just need to be faithful and do it. The Holy Spirit might give you new information. Uh, You might have a really difficult struggle dealing with a certain sin. Okay, But for the most part, the Lord expects us to read what it says and to do it. We're no different than the Old Testament believers. The Old Testament believers were told what to do, and God expected them to do it. And if they didn't do it, they were punished or disciplined. The New Testament's no different. We think, well, because... Oh, we got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It's a different realm, and and God is turned into this big, soft God who just like loves us so much. He just kind of lets us do what we want. No, same God, same commandments, same holy and just God who's gonna say, you know what, brother Bob, if you don't do what I tell you, it's real simple. You see what needs to be done. If you don't obey me at the judgment seat of Christ, you'll pay for the consequences of not being faithful. To my commandment. Again, progressive sanctification means I'm progressing and becoming more holy and more just and more blameless in my walk because I, I'm choosing to sin less. I'm overcoming those little things that used to cause me to stumble and sin. I'm maturing. I'm getting victory over those things. I'm sinning less. I'm not sinless, I'm just sinning less. And I'm responding in a righteous way. God honoring way more often than I did when I was first a believer. We're progressing. You're progressing towards that that goal of being perfectly holy, sinless, and righteous. Now, I don't want to make this confusing. I don't want to get sidetracked. Now, because of the avenue of repentance, confession, we can have our sins washed away when we stumble in sin and we confess and repent the blood of Christ will cleanse us, and we can stand in the presence of the Lord, blameless, holy, and righteous, because of our sins being washed away. But that doesn't mean that the Lord's going to be pleased with us because we're dealing with our sins. We always also have to be doing those things that please the Lord. Again, I don't want to make this sound mean or nasty, but think about this. You know, if you if you're if you were a lost person when you were unsaved and you did a lot of bad things in your life. And you got rid of all the bad things, which is a good thing. You got rid of all the negatives, the negative things in your life. Well, you know what? If you get rid of all your negatives and don't put positive things in your life, well, then basically you're at zero Christian. See, you're at the zero spot. The Lord doesn't want you just to deal with the old bad things in your life. He wants you to start doing those new things that he thinks are pleasing to him. He wants you to start changing your life and start adding some pluses to your zero Christian life so you're doing those things that are that are pleasing to the Lord like going out and sharing your faith like being a prayer warrior like being diligent and studying your Bible there's a whole list of things that we can do that are pleasing to the Lord that add pluses to our whatever you want to call it our honor or glory and eternity and they're definitely going to add and benefit to us at the judgment seat of Christ the more that we do For the Lord, the more rewards and blessings we're going to have in eternity. It's that simple, brethren. Brethren, the good Lord doesn't bless us and honor us and reward us at the judgment seat of Christ simply because we're dealing with our sins. We also have to be doing those things that please the Father. When we do those things that please the Father— we will, we will receive rewards and blessings and honors in the next life. That's part of overcoming. See, that's part of overcoming. We overcome our flesh and do those things that are pleasing to the Lord. You know, you always hear people talking about trying to have benefits, uh, to build up benefits, whether it's a 401k or a pension or annuity, whatever. You want to build up benefits so that when you retire, you have these economic benefits. Well, being a pleasing, faithful child of God has outstanding eternal benefits. At the judgment seat of Christ, there's a whole list of rewards and blessings and honors that the Lord's going to give to those believers he deems faithful. In the Bible, the words righteous and justified have basically the same meaning in the Greek. Now, we looked in the book of Romans and it said that Abraham was not justified by his good works, but by faith. And yet I'm going to show you that in the book of James, there was a time when Abraham was justified by his good works. Now, God's not a liar. And what this is showing me, clearly shows me in the Bible, that there's two types of righteousness for believers. The first righteousness you get, again, righteousness, or to be righteous, means that you God sees you as being right in his eyes. So the first type of righteousness is when we get born again. We trust Christ as our Savior, our sins are washed away, and God sees us as right in his eyes. We went from being sinners to who deserve to go to hell, to be seen as right in God's eyes because the blood of Christ covers our hell debt sins. But that's just the first part of our Christianity. The second part of our Christianity is to walk, to talk, and do those things that honor the Lord. This is what progressive righteousness is about. Progressive righteousness. It's an ongoing process where we're continuing to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord. We're continuing to learn, study the word, and to do those things that please the Lord. Now, again, most of you are not taught this, but the Bible clearly shows that there's two types of righteousness for the believer. These are the initial salvation righteousness that we get through faith in the gospel, and there's a righteousness how God sees us as being right because we're doing what's right in his eyes. Again, when a believer is seen as being righteous in their walk or behavior in God's eyes, they are seen that way because they did something biblically right that pleased the Lord. I know, not very deep, is it? So on on one hand, the Bible tells us that Abraham was righteous apart from any good works. Romans 4, 3. Remember, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him as righteousness. And then the verses go on to say, that this type of righteousness, salvation righteousness, does not come about by our good works. But on the other hand, if you go to the book of James, James says, are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? For our father Abraham was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Now, since we know that God is not a God of confusion, there must be two types of righteousness in the scriptures. And there is. Again, you're not going to be taught this, so take notes. Again, the first type of righteousness for the believer is salvation righteousness, and that comes through the, the blood of Christ. It comes by believing the gospel of Christ. Again, Romans 4.3, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The other righteousness is a works righteousness that is a result of a believer sincerely doing as the Lord commanded, which is always right to do in the Lord. To sincerely do as the Lord commanded is always the right thing to do. That's why we're going to read James again. James chapter 2 starts at verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Our father Abraham was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of those good works, faith was perfected. And the scripture which was fulfilled said, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by good works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So was Abraham seen by God as being justified apart from any good works? Or was Abraham seen by God as being justified through his good works? Well, actually, the answer is both. Again, our initial faith in Christ's sacrifice for our sins at Calvary made us right in God's eyes because God saw that any sins that a newly converted believer had already committed in their unsaved days are immediately and forever washed away, and all the sins that we owe God are held dead sins, the moment we get born again, they're all forgiven. We never have to worry about going to hell. That's a salvation righteousness. Again, Christ paid off our hell sin debt. Simply being born again doesn't earn us any rewards, blessing, or honors in the next life. Simply born again makes us a child of God. Now is the Lord pleased when somebody becomes his child? Amen. But that's just the beginning of our journey with the Lord. Remember the Bible says the Lord saved us for good works. He has things for us to do now that we're in the family. Christ got us in the family. Now now that we're in the family, God says, I have stuff for you to do. And if you do what I tell you, I'm going to bless you in eternity. It's that simple, brethren. That's why I keep telling the brethren over and over and over again in my podcast. Simply being born again is not going to earn you a well done, good and faithful servant at the judgment seat of Christ. The only way that I would see that the Lord would be honored or pleased is if somebody was newly converted and they never died. Maybe they martyred for their faith. They didn't get a chance to know the Lord and know his word and be faithful. And if they were martyred for their faith, the Lord's going to welcome that new martyred believer with open arms. But for most believers, they get a chance to live 5, 10, 15, 20 years, maybe longer and, Well, then 15, 20, 35, 40 years of our life are supposed to be spent learning God's word and then obeying what you read. I mean, it's that simple. At the judgment seat of Christ, there's no reward for simply being born again. There's no special honors in God's kingdom for simply being born again. Those are things that we need to be working at, striving in our life, walking in a manner that it pleases the Lord, when we stumble, we deal with our sin, we get up, we keep moving forward. We should be continuing to grow and mature, and we should be learning to sin less and less until we get to the other side. There are over 50 Bible verses that show the importance of a believer having a walk of righteousness. Over 50 of them. There's over 50 verses in the book of Psalms alone that show that the Lord is pleased when his children choose to walk in his righteous ways. Deuteronomy 6.18 You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. Isaiah 64, 4. It says, From the days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. You meet those who rejoice in doing righteousness, who remember your ways, O Lord. Ezekiel 3.18, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way, that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his sin, but his blood I will require at your hand. However, if you have warned the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his sin, but you have delivered yourself. this in Matthew 5.6, Blessed are those believers who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hosea fourteen nine. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know your way. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. But the transgressors will stumble in them. Again, these are written to believers. Psalm five twelve. For it is you who blesses a righteous man or woman, O Lord. You surround him with favors with a shield. Psalm seven eight. The Lord judges the people. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. And my integrity as I have walked in your ways. I could go on and on and on. I could go on and on and on showing all the Bible verses where the Lord is pleased when his children do what he says. And when we do what he says, that means we are right in his eyes. Being right in his eyes means he sees us as being righteous. Yes, we have the ability as human beings to do what's right in God's eyes. Listen to me, brethren, you're going to get these Bible fools who are going to tell you that It's not possible for God's people to choose to walk in a way that pleases the Lord. That's just idiotic. Why would the Lord tell us to do these things? Why would the Lord be pleased if we did these things? And why would the Lord punish and discipline his children when they don't do those things if they weren't capable of doing or not doing them? It's so silly. People think, oh, you have to wait for the Spirit of God to move you. I don't need the Spirit of God to move me. I know I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I am I'm supposed to love my enemies. I know I'm supposed to be a cheerful giver. I don't need to read the instruction book every three days to figure out what God wants me to do. You read the Bible, you learn what God wants you to do, and then you do it. That's why the Bible says, learn those things which are pleasing to the Lord. Now, why would you learn those things that are pleasing to the Lord? To not do them or to wait for the Holy Spirit to whisper in your ear when you need to do them? No. You learn what the Bible wants you to do. You learn what God wants you to do. And then you just obey them with a sincere heart. The Lord's watching. He's taking notes. And at the judgment seat, you will hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. First John 3.10 says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Now, a lot of times, if people make a mistake here, they say, well, well when we say that it's a children of the devil, they must mean that, well, that's an unbeliever. That's not what John is talking about. Okay, John talking about children of the devil are those believers who are carnal, disobedient, who walk away from serving God. When a born-again believer chooses to do what's right in her eyes or chooses to just ignore scriptures and do what feels right or just do whatever they want to do, they're not serving God. They're, they're, they're on the same team with Satan. There's this place in the book of Timothy where Paul said a bunch of the young Christian widows in the church were doing the devil's work. They got caught up in biz- being busybodies and gossips, and, and they were lazy, and they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Now, they weren't serving Satan with an upside-down cross, but by their actions, they were showing Paul that they weren't on God's team. They were on the devil's team probably not even knowing it. The Apostle Paul said that born-again believers who teach what's right in their own eyes are actually teaching doctrines of demons. When believers add to scriptures or take away from scriptures and teach whatever is in their heart, whatever they think is right, if they teach, well, this just seems right to me, they're not teaching God's word, they're teaching doctrines of demons. That's what Paul said. So you need to think about this. You can be on the wrong side when you're a born-again child of God, if you're not obeying God's scriptures. That's why 1 John says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, obviously, anyone with more spiritual discernment than a French fry knows that John is talking about believers. Again, I don't want to get sidetracked here, but how do I know John's Not talking about unbelievers. Because John says anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Well, you know what? Unbelievers never practice righteousness. Unbelievers are never right with God. They're cut off from God until they trust Christ as their Savior. Unbelievers can do the greatest, most wonderful, lovely things in the world. But you know what? When they die, they're going to go to hell because all of them good things they did are not going to pay for their sins. Only believers can walk in a manner... Which pleases or displeases the Lord? Now, what I'm sharing is not rocket science theology. However, it does a bit of it takes a bit of serious biblical discernment to see, i.e., understand that what I'm trying to share with you is biblical. Our heavenly Father freely offered salvation to all who would believe the message of His Son. However, once we're saved, the Lord expects His children to strive to walk in a manner that pleases Him. To not do that is a sin. It's no different than our earthly parents. Our earthly parents expect us to walk in a manner that pleases them. And when we don't, our parents are upset with us. They're discouraged. They get angry. They get upset. They get disappointed. Same with the Lord. Just because we're his child, just because we're God's child, that doesn't mean we can't disappoint him. And brethren, simply choosing to do the right things that are right in God's eyes with a good attitude is pleasing to the Lord. So you got to quit listening to the biblical idiots that tell you that all of a believer's good works are like dirty rags or not. The Lord wouldn't ask us to do stuff if it wasn't pleasing to him. The Lord wouldn't reward his faithful children if, it, if they hadn't pleased him. This is, Again, this is pretty simple stuff. If you're not thinking about yourself as being some pious holy ruler who thinks everything's about the Holy Spirit. Okay, God gave us the responsibility to walk, to talk. He put that on us. We need to read his Bible, study what his Bible says, learn what he wants us to do, learn those things that please him and do those, and learn those things and, that displease him and don't do those. I believe if more of God's people truly understood the eternal importance of striving to do those things which please your Heavenly Father, they would. Unfortunately, many of God's people are listening to biblically ignorant people who are teaching them that all the good works that a sincere believer does are like dirty, filthy rags in God's eyes. That's a lie from the devil. Quit listening to them fools. President, on Judgment Day, if you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, you need to put some effort into walking in a manner which pleases the Lord. The Holy Spirit is not going to do this for you. Contrary to what you're taught, the Holy Spirit is not going to do this for you. Isaiah 48, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths that you should obey. If only you had listened to my commandments, that means listen and obey them is what he's saying, then you would have peace flowing like a gentle river and a righteousness rolling over you like waves in the sea. I want everybody to listen to me carefully. At the judgment seat of Christ, I want it to be me who chooses to serve the Lord. I don't want to find out it was the Holy Spirit who was serving Christ for me. I want it to be me whom the Lord found faithful. I don't want to find out that it was the Holy Spirit being faithful for me. I want it to be me whom the Lord says, Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to find out that it was the Holy Spirit who did everything necessary to make me look good in front of Christ. Now I said these things facetiously. I know that the Lord would never ever reward, bless, or honor any child of his in this life or in the next life for something they did not earn or merit. Revelation 2.10 don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. When the good Lord promises us rewards, and when he tells us, well done, good and faithful servant, he means what he says. And he's talking to believers who deserve those words, because they chose to walk, to talk, do as the Apostle Paul did. He said, I fought the good fight. I contended for the faith. I ran the race according to the rules, and I finished the course. Your true friend in Christ, Brother Bob. And as always, the only way to separate religious gibberish from biblical truth is to know your scriptures.